Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all on this lovely, gloomy Vancouver day. It's a nice little break from all the sun. You actually get to wear socks and shoes again for a day. Um, it's nice to see you looking around this room. I'm always amazed at the uh, uh, who is assembled here. It's always different. It's never the same combination. And uh, I'm really grateful to be here in this moment with you all. And uh, really happy to bring the word to you this morning. That's uh, an old term for preaching the sermon, bringing the word. So uh, if you'll allow me, I would love to do that this morning. My name is Scott, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm one of the pastors with Artisan Church. And uh, yeah, really excited to jump into the text. And so without further ado, let's do that. We've been spending a lot of time in a passage of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I've taken the liberty, in case you haven't seen the whole thing in its entirety, to put it up here on the screen. So there's the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, it doesn't look as big or as intimidating when you see it like that. I'm not expecting to read all the words, but I did want to show you just how big it is, and then also highlight the section we're going to look at today. So see that little yellow part there? That's where we're going to hang out. And also indicating that we're nearing the end of this series. We've spent, I think it'll be a total of about, oh, I don't know, anyone? 35 weeks on it? 40 weeks maybe? Close to? And we're going to end on September 9th on our Startup Sunday in in the fall here. So let's see what this says. We're going to jump right in and um, read Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. If you have your chair Bibles, turn to page 679. And actually, if you, haven't, if you haven't typically done that, it's a good practice to get into, to open up uh, the words and to see them yourself. Um, so if you can or have access to a chair Bible, grab one. If you want to use your app or you brought your own Bible, BYOB is great. And so uh, we can turn to uh, this page here, 679. And uh, we'll read it together. You can hang out in there, maybe mark it and... Uh, Look at it as, uh, as we're talking this morning. So we're going to go chapter 7, verse 7, all the way to verse 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let's say a quick prayer, and like I said, we're just going to jump right in here. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you that your spirit is present. And I pray, Lord, that you would take my words, uh, mixed with your words, mixed with the Holy Spirit. I pray that this would be a moment where you could shape us, teach us more about you, come close to us. Pray that as we enter into this ancient practice of hearing the teaching of the scriptures, uh, that we would be transformed and renewed in our mind. 
In your name we ask and pray. Amen. Amen. So you may have, when I read the scripture, you may have heard these three words come out. Ask, seek, knock. These are three, if you're a vocab nerd, three imperatives listed in the present tense. Ask, seek, knock. And in the English, it provides this nice little acronym. A-S-K. Ask. There you go. Some, uh, some preachers have used this as a bit of a theme text for prosperity teaching. And if you're not familiar with prosperity theology, basically the gist is that financial blessing and physical wellness are always the will of God. And if you just have enough faith, they're yours. And uh, you may have heard of phrases like this, name it and claim it. Or the more crass, blab it and grab it. Um, there's one problem to this doctrine, uh, is the cross. The cross, Jesus actually died. This kind of goes against prosperity teaching and the thousands of other cross-shaped stories that are represented in this room and represented across history. Another interpretation of this, ask, seek, knock, is uh, maybe to be intended as uh, repeated or continual approach before God. And this is the one I'm going to work with. Could also be translated like this. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And these are also metaphors. So three metaphors, ask, seek, and knock, uh, which come from their original Greek words that doesn't quite make up ask as an acronym, but it's ask, A-Z-K. Ask, which is the Greek word aiteo, which means to ask, to beg, or to call for. Seek comes from the Greek zaiteo, to seek in order to find. It means to seek after something by thinking, meditating, reasoning, to inquire into, to aim after, to strive after. And knock, uh, the Greek word kruo, which simply means to knock as at a door. I love it. And this whole picture, this whole, these three words together are a combined approach that Jesus is promoting about prayer this morning. I'm saying it this morning. Jesus said it a long time ago. And I wonder, I think of these three words, ask, seek, and knock, these three metaphors, these three pictures of our approach to God. I wonder what our approach to God would be. I wonder what our words or metaphors would look like. If someone who didn't know anything about prayer said, hey, I'm going to come over and just observe you for a while, what would, they, what would they glean from that? What kind of words or metaphors would they take? Um, perhaps it would be a combination of uh, the opposite of ask, seek, and knock. Maybe something like answer, ignore, withdraw. Answer, I think, is not too far from the truth, at least for my reality. When I approach God in prayer... I often come with an answer. God, you should definitely do this because this is the best thing for me right now or that person or this situation. I have the answer. And then what that causes me to do eventually is kind of ignore seeking. I don't even bother trying. When I hear the words of you two, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. No, 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 I've found what I'm looking for. I have the answer. It's all good. So I ignore the seeking and then ultimately it leads to withdraw 
or disillusionment or disengagement. How many of you can relate to that this morning? Don't have to put up your hand. Just nod or cry. Yeah, okay. But what a contrast. What a contrast to ask and seek and knock. And this is the way Jesus is asking us to approach him, to approach our Father in heaven. You may remember a few weeks ago, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, a message on the Lord's Prayer, and I was preaching uh, about the Lord's framework for prayer. And uh, if you go back to that slide, you can see where we are. This is the other section on prayer in chapter 6, the next slide. So there's a lot on prayer. There's a lot on communicating with God in this sermon. Jesus seems to think it's an important uh, thing. And my tendency, if I was to look at those three counter words or metaphors, my tendency is to withdraw and shy away. And I talked a little bit about that. I talked a little bit about my my story and how I've been shying away from making any requests to God. And I found encouragement in the Lord's Prayer, in Jesus' example of prayer throughout the Gospels. As Dallas Willard said, the picture of prayer that emerges from the life and teaching of Jesus in the Gospels is quite clear. Basically, it is one of asking, requesting things from God. Oh, oh, so it's okay to request. Yeah, it is. And that, that's what I was encouraged about. Um, like Philippians 4, 6 says, I don't have to be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I can present my requests to God. He, he wants to hear my requests. That's pretty awesome. So, but the question remains, does God answer prayer? So that's fine to make requests of prayer, but what does God do with the requests? Because uh, it seems sometimes he's silent or absent, not there. And the answer, I don't know if you've heard this before, floating around the church, God answers prayer, yep. Sometimes it's yes, no, and maybe. Just cover all the bases. That doesn't satisfy me. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. And one, one reason for unanswered prayer we read in Scripture is James 4, 3. This is uh, Jesus' brother, by the way. He writes, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So there is a wrong way to ask. There's a, maybe a, a way that's not healthy based on what we want, our wrong motives. I wonder if there's any other barriers, and I'm just going to suggest three this morning, and I'm sure there are others, but I think these are barriers uh, to prayer, and it's comfort, confusion, and cynicism. All of these, so it's easy to remember, Comfort, confusion, and cynicism. So the first one, comfort. Basically what we're saying or our belief in comfort is that we don't need God. Uh, In today's context, Vancouver, 2018, it's quite a bit different than the context that this message originally went out. So just to give you a bit of background, in first century Greco-Roman world, the life expectancy was 25 to 30 years old. So imagine if you are older than 25 to 30, if you're older than that, you've outlived the life expectancy already from the first century Greco-Roman world. So there was this intense pressure to procreate. And there was even penalties for young men who decided not to have a family and to start uh, having kids. There's penalties for you. You're 21 years old, 
You need to start procreating. You need to leave behind a version of yourself because you're not here very long. And so there's this pressure on that. Women were, it was horribly unequal. Women were seen as having the same rights as children, which was next to none. In some accounts, women, women were seen as underdeveloped men or mutilated versions of a male. Crazy. And in this culture, there was a ton of urgency just to survive, just to make it another day. People are dying left, right, and center. And in Vancouver, it's quite a contrast. Uh, We have so many distractions. There's a lot of beauty, access to clean drinking water. The life expectancy in Vancouver is 80 years, but you could live to be 100 if you really tried. For some, it's heaven on earth. And I actually wonder if you presented an image of heaven from the scriptures to someone in the first century context and then compare that with presenting that to a person in today's world, in Vancouver, uh, I think the response might be different. First century, you're living until your 25th birthday. This is amazing. I want to get there. Streets paved with gold. Uh, Pearl gates. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Angels covered with eyes. What the? What? And then you present that to someone in Vancouver, they're like, yeah, I could see that happening. You get the right contractors. It costs a lot of money, but you could definitely pave the streets with gold. No question about it. Pearl Gates, I could see that happening. Eye-covered angels, animals. Yeah, you could CGI it. I could, I could picture it. Yeah, it's cool. And obviously, that's not the, the picture for everyone in Vancouver. For some, it's definitely not heaven on earth. And if you're thinking... Yeah, Vancouver's not that great. Or your experience has been struggle and trial. You actually may have it better off than some in this city. Consider, again, Jesus' brother James. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The second barrier, I think, is confusion. We don't know God. We don't don't actually know who he is. And if we read in the Sermon on the Mount here, the section we're looking at, verses 9 to 11 says, and you can look with me, chapter 7, 9 to 11, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So the two questions are the expected, the expected answer to these questions is no parent would ever do that. Back then, too, I was researching, it was quite interesting. Uh, you could actually find a stone that looked kind of like a loaf of bread, or you could actually even find uh, a snake that looked kind of like the fish or eels that grew in the Sea of Galilee. So you could actually psych someone out, being like, hey, here's a loaf of bread. And they're like, oh, what the... Or give them a snake, and it actually is a fish. But he's saying, of course, a good parent would not do these sorts of things. You'd not try to psych out your kid. You'd not try to hurt them or harm them. You're going to try to do the best you can with what you have. All the parents said, maybe, sometimes, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But no parent would do this, no good parent. And the barrier, I think, is not seeing God for who he really is, for seeing him as the good, good father. And he's real, and he's with you, and he's for you. 
Amen. Another barrier I think might be cynicism. And this is one I fall into often, that I don't actually believe God. I don't actually believe what he says to be true. I become skeptical. I doubt that he wants to give good gifts. And uh, I want to share with you a bit of my personal journey uh, about regaining confidence in prayer. And um, funnily enough, it's kind of revolved around this van that we have. And it's, it may sound silly to you, but it's been a real, uh, a real tangible expression of God uh, providing for me and my family. So I've told this story in church before, but there's a new development. Since I last preached on prayer, I decided I should actually practice what I'm preaching. And then a new development, which is really amazing. And so the first time um, this van, five years ago, um, my wife and I didn't own this van. We had a little station wagon, and we found out that child number three was on the way. We knew we had to upgrade our vehicle because we couldn't legally fit the kids into the car. And uh, we were excited, and then we panicked. We're like, oh, we don't actually have money to buy a van. Um, okay, what do we do now? And so we pulled out the budget spreadsheets, and we're going through our life and money, income, outcome. It's not going to work. There's no feasible way. And in a moment of wisdom, my wife just said, let's pray. And so we prayed with our spreadsheet open. We prayed over our spreadsheet. And literally that same evening, we get an email saying from someone in the States that we knew that didn't know our situation that said, we felt like God was telling us to give you our van. Like in that, that same moment. And I was like, the computer was still open from us having prayed this prayer. And I, I said out loud, I'm like, are you kidding me? What? Are you actually kidding me that this was a response to our prayer for provision? And so fast forward five years, and I had forgotten, typical Christian, typical follower of Jesus, I had forgotten the miracle and I kind of shied away from making any request to God because I started to think about it. I'm like, well, it's whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Someone's sick, I'll pray for them. But, I mean, if they don't have a good doctor, they're kind of screwed. And I started to get this cynical mindset around prayer. I'm like, what good does it actually do if God already knows? Like, why, why do we engage in this silly practice? And so... Uh, maybe God was telling me something, I don't know, but our transmission started to die. And the engine starts clunking. And this just happened a couple weeks ago. So uh, a few weeks ago, I preached a message on the Lord's Prayer and about being, you know, bold to ask and request things of God. And then a week later, I found out our transmission is dying on what we affectionately have called the Godmobile. And, uh, and so we're like, okay, God, you gave us this van. Um, I guess we'll, we'll ask you again. Can you help us? Uh, we don't know how we're going to pay for a new transmission. We don't know how we're going to get fixed. We can't afford a new van. So we're just praying. And again, almost immediately, and I, this, I know this is, this is out of the ordinary, but it was a real intangible experience for me and my family. I had all the kids pray. My wife and I were praying about the van. What are we going to do? And in that day, we had three offers of people that wanted to help us financially. And all of them were for more money than we needed for the transmission to be fixed. 
And I, I kind of have to believe this quote by Archbishop William Temple. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. I mean, there's no other way I can explain it. I can't explain like, oh, yeah, if you say the prayer the right way and you go ABC, then you get a new van or then you get a husband or whatever it is. There's no way. I don't know why I used that example. (laughs) Maybe receive that if that's for you this morning. But it just seems that there's coincidences that happen that I can't explain. And I think the good news is that God does respond. Verse 8 in chapter 7, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. So the action of seeking, asking, seeking, knocking, are repeated here from verse 7 with the encouragement that God, God does respond. N.T. Wright says, Treat God as Father and let him know how things are with you. Let's let them know. Ask, search, and knock, and see what happens. Expect some surprises on the way, but don't expect that God will ever let you down. So my example is just one example of God asking a request, but there's been more, of, uh, there's been more unanswered requests than answered requests in my life. There's been examples of God answering in a way that I didn't want or think of. There's even been some beautiful cross-shaped stories, too. And prayer, I want to make sure that we get this morning, is not just about making our requests, uh, getting our requests granted. But prayer often and most definitely does move us to act. A little quote from DZ. The other day I was thinking of teaching underprivileged children how to read. Just thinking about it was the most rewarding experience I've ever had. And often... We can be a little bit like uh, DZ. We can, um, we can think awesome things. We can pray awesome things. But if it doesn't move us to action, what are, what are we doing? Mother Teresa, someone who lived out active faith, she says, I, I used to pray that God would feed the hungry or do this or that, but now I pray that he will guide me to do whatever I'm supposed to do, what I can do. I used to pray for answers, but now I'm praying for strength. I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I know that prayer changes us, and we change things. Or like Bonhoeffer said, our being Christians today will be limited to two things, prayer and righteous action among men and women. All Christian thinking, speaking, and organizing must be born anew out of this prayer action and action. And then at the end of the section that we're in right now is verse 12. It seems like a bit of a peculiar verse, a little add-on to this section, but I think it's placed there pretty strategically. So read it with me, verse 12. So, or some translations say, Therefore, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. First, if you were in... Uh, hearing the Sermon on the Mount, Law and Prophets, this would have triggered you. Because Jesus started back in verse 17 of chapter 5. He started by saying, I'm not come to abolish the Law and the Prophets. And now he's, 
he's kind of sandwiching it. So everything in between, he's saying the law and the prophets is summarized by this simple rule, and we know it as the golden rule. It sums up the teaching of the Old Testament, the Torah, the books of literature, Psalms, Proverbs, the, the, uh, the prophets, all of it summed up by this golden rule. And traditionally, this is so interesting, it comes from the Roman Emperor Alexander Service, who, though not a Christian, was reputedly so impressed by, the, uh, by this saying that he had it inscribed in gold on the wall of his chamber. So in gold, and that's where we get the idea of the golden rule. So if prayer moves us to action, maybe this isn't so peculiarly placed after all. Uh, could it be that one of prayer's effects is that it moves us to live out the golden rule? Another translation of this is, in everything, treat others as you would want them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. I like, I like that that translation said, treat others. And immediately it made me think of this, um, this term, treat yourself. And if you look it up in the Urban Dictionary, which I'm assuming you all have on hand, is uh, to partake in an activity which, no matter how detrimental to your health, allows you to enjoy yourself as much as possible. Did you treat yourself over the weekend? Are you treating yourself? Or as uh, Tom and Donna from Parks and Rec said, treat yourself. And it sounds even more awesome when I say it. A big, awkward white man. Treat yourself. And the idea was to have one day where they break all the rules. And I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, they decided to spend an entire day pampering and spoiling themselves uh, and destroying their bank accounts in the meantime. Treating themselves with clothes, fragrances, massages, mimosas, fine leather goods. The best day of the year. So it's, like, it's a lot like this, but completely different. It's more like treat someone else, the golden rule. Take the same attitude that would inspire you for whatever reason to treat yourself and take that and turn it around and treat someone else. And not just with material items, but with love, with kindness. If you're looking at the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about what we're to do. How do we treat others with respect, mercy, forgiveness, non-judgmental attitudes? So the invitation this morning is uh, to simply ask, seek, and knock. Out of this, I think, comes action. And with that action, we can't ignore it. So try just my, my invitation or my call this morning, and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up right here is to try it. If you haven't, and if you've, I don't know, whatever reason, you've uh, withdrawn, maybe you're just as passionate as ever, and you, you're living this life. Continue to do this. Maybe you're disillusioned by prayer. Try it. Try approaching God in this matter, asking. What is asking telling us? I think it's asking us to stay curious. Instead of coming to him with answers, come with questions. Well, uh, a good question is, what if? What if I did this? What if, what if you did this, God? What if we did this together? Seek 
staying engaged instead of ignoring him, start pursuing him. Knock, and I'm preaching this to myself, being bold instead of withdrawing, coming to him with the expectation that he will open the door. And not just this week, but the invitation is to start forming habit and ritual uh, to form. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And then observe the coincidences. That's the fun part. My, my daughter has inspired me. She started a prayer chart based on someone else that she heard that did this. And she showed me it. On one column, it says prayers. And then on the other column, it says how they were answered. So not, not just answered prayers, but how they were answered. So maybe they weren't answered or they were answered differently. But two columns, and she's stoked about this. First line Prayer is that God would help our van be fixed. Answer, we got money to get it fixed. Amazing. She's seeing in real time God uh, provide. And I think as she goes on, she'll see the complexity and the beauty of coming to God in prayer. And maybe that's a practice we could try. Maybe just a simple starting a column or a note uh, on an app. You just say, prayers, this is my prayer. And then keep track of the answers or how they are answered. And as we come to the table this morning, this is, I think, a reminder of who is giving this message. Uh, He is a good, good father. He is with us. He's for us. And as we say these words that we say every week, let's remind ourselves again of the gospel and the good news that Jesus is who he says he is. Would you say these words with me and repeat... um, Say the ones that are in bold. I'll start. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the creator out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin and death and to renew all things through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen.